Welcome back to the last part of our AP World History podcast for this uh, chapter and looking at chapter eight. Uh, we're going to wrap up here with uh, China and looking at the Eurasian economy and China and Buddhism here. So um, one thing to remember uh, with, with China and the economy in Eurasia um, and the trade is they are a major player in trade. And this is going to be consistent throughout all of history until we get to the rise of the European industrialization, uh, when then we see things shifting from there. Um, but even then, a lot of goods and stuff are being purchased in China. But China is kind of the central part of that because of the silk primarily, but also because of other things they have with spices, porcelain, and they're, they have essentially the goods that everyone desires and that are deemed as the best. And so there's uh, a lot of tech uh, that's being developed in China. Um, they develop a way to uh, get salt uh, from just solar evaporation, which is huge. That'll make its way to uh, the Islamic empires and European empires. They have paper making, which was around during the Han Dynasty, uh, but everyone's looking to, to get that paper, and people eventually steal the process and make it on their own. Uh, we eventually get the printing press, which we talked about, which will then be adopted by the Europeans in the uh, 1400s, 1500s, um, around then becoming a big thing, uh, with Gutenberg creating his own version. Uh, whether or not it was influenced by the Chinese or not is, a, is another question again. Um, you also get gunpowder coming into this, uh, which revolutionizes warfare, not initially at the time. Uh, you would first just have it being used as kind of rockets, and you get fireworks from that. Um, and also as a, a simple gun where you'd have arrows or whatever in bamboo shoots and you'd put gunpowder on the end of it and light that and you'd watch the arrows fly out. Um, but not as accurate, not necessarily using a ball and um, a, a hardwood stock or anything like that or barrel to shoot it out of. Uh, but we'll eventually see that and the first big thing with that will be cannons. Those will, those will be the first things and those will be adopted uh, as it moves uh, westward. Um, as well as the, the last major one there for the in, inventions that come about is the compass. The compass is huge uh, in navigation. It comes towards the end of this era, uh, but will allow for navigation around the whole world. And again, this one's debated kind of like the printing press is, uh, well, when did it actually come about? Did it come about in China first or did it come about in uh, several areas at the same time? Um, that's kind of always debated there. So, um, yeah, it's... China's credit with it, and there are some people that say China actually had a compass way back in the day, which they did have a magnetic um, tool to be able to tell you which way was north, um, but it wasn't really used as a compass, it was more used as a spiritual thing, and it wasn't entirely accurate. Um, now, in return for these inventions and all their, their goods that they're producing, uh, they are bringing in uh, sugar and cotton from India. Um, they're getting better rice from Vietnam, which we talked about, which is going to lead to a population increase. Uh, they bring in the idea of windmills uh, from Persia. Uh, Buddhism comes in. Um, <clears throat> new merchants will also bring in new architectural ideas, uh, merchants from abroad, and so you'll see some of those. But this can also, these merchants can also lead to conflicts with, um, uh, I don't want to say nationalism because that's not really around yet, but where people are focusing on the home and they want the home to come first and they don't want to see these foreigners, they're looked at as invaders or whatever coming in. And you will have at times them being slaughtered um, because of uh, xenophobia or the fear of foreigners. And um, 
but because these merchants are there because of the commercial practices that leads to more of the commercial farming that we brought up and as well that's going to lead to excess uh, products which then they're going to be able to go and sell abroad and make money off of so um, china is an integral part of the economy it is going to dominate the economy again for another uh, if we go from the start of this at around 600 it's going to dominate the world economies and for another uh, 1200 years or so it, it just it's it's ridiculous how much power they have over things. And we're going to see that when we get into the next unit um, next semester, when we get into the silver trade and things like that, and just how much of a, a dominance they have uh, in guiding it. Now, uh, the other major thing going on is Buddhism does get to China. And we need to talk about what kind of what happens on it. And so um, this will be the major foreign influencer on China until uh, we get another one, uh, which is communism uh, in the modern era. Uh, this will be the, the uh, really the major thing from foreigners that influences China and changes their culture. And um, the Chinese will make uh, Confucianism or make Buddhism con or um, Chinese. Uh, they don't adopt it wholesale as it is. Uh, instead, they, they need to modify it to fit into their own thing. And so um, originally it doesn't have much, especially when you have a strong dynasty. It usually goes down in popularity. It comes up when there are collapses in dynasties, uh, like after the Han, like after the... Um, the Tang wouldn't be a good one to, to do because they're getting actually beat up because of Confucian or because of Buddhism. But like uh, after the uh, the the Song or the Yuan, um, well, Yuan's probably not a great one there either. But the Ming um, stuff like that. When when there isn't a a, uh, a strong central government or so strong central power, it it takes over. Uh, it it rises in popularity, and. Um, this is because Confucian has been usually looked at as, as a failure by that point. And so for Buddhist missionaries coming in, they're going to modify the language and make it a little bit more Chinese. So like Dharma becomes Tao, um, morality, instead of just being about doing the right thing, it's about following filial piety and submitting to your, um, superior's ideas. And, um, they also bring in the idea with filial piety that uh, husbands need to control their wives and um, there isn't necessarily a need for a lot of respect for women and stuff like that. And so we see that patriarchal system taking over and influencing Buddhism. Um, the main form of Buddhism that makes it to China is Mahayana, of course, uh, because that's the one that spreads the most and it spreads to um, areas that have kind of ancestral spirit worship and stuff like that. Uh, Theravada Buddhism is what we see going through Southeast Asia, Central Asia, and East Asia will take on Mahayana. Um, and uh, the Sui and the Tang dynasties both support this uh, because they were, again, frontier uh, peoples that took over the, the China. The Song will uh, not take it at all. And uh, when it loses state support, this also will hurt trade because the one thing you got to remember with, with these Buddhist missionaries when we're talking about trade is they set up monasteries throughout that uh, become very wealthy, which makes the, the dynasties jealous and they want to get that wealth. Uh, but they also become their, their trading posts or their stop points for people to stop on the Silk Road or the uh, whatever other trade routes going on. And so um, they're, they're there as a location for people to stop. And when you, when you take these out, you lose places along safe, secure places to, to stop at. And so um, that will lead to them uh, a, a little hit in trade, especially over the land route. Um, <clears throat> but all this is happening. All these are, are, are this is happening because of a jealousy between uh, the rise or, or the wealthiness of the monasteries. 
but as well just because of xenophobia in, in China, especially with the rise of neo-Confucianism, that, hey, uh, we got to get rid of these foreigners and these foreign ideas are, are ruining China, making China worse, and the dynasty is going to collapse if we don't do this. And so, unfortunately, the Tang Dynasty collapses anyways, uh, but the Song will look at that as their major thing that allows them or gives them the right to rule. Um, so, uh, you have that going on, and... Um, Buddhism will will take a back seat, uh, will be kind of on the periphery, just like we see Taoism is always kind of on the edge of society um, until, again, a dynasty collapses. So um, it's not going to vanish completely, but Neo-Confucianism is going to take over and be the major influencer on Chinese society after this. And um, so that kind of becomes kind of where Buddhism ends its major influence in China, although it's still there. Uh, you can go see through China today and see some major uh, statues from these monasteries. Uh, but when the, the dynasty decides, the Tang dynasty, and especially the Song dynasty, decide to go after these monasteries and get their money and, and stop them from uh, making these monuments and stuff like that, you, you, see, the, you see a major change, and, and there isn't much progress in, in what's going on with Buddhism. So that's uh, kind of China in a nutshell through this time uh, period, this post-classical era. Um, actually, this is just kind of a start because we got after the song, we're going to talk about the Yuan and the Mongols coming in there. Uh, we'll get to that, though, the, in the second half of this unit. Um, but that's this is kind of an a overview of, of what China looked like. So uh, next week, we'll be taking a look at the rise of the Islamic world.